Tanwin and the band as well for leading us. Do, do make the most of the <coughs> Christmas opportunities. As there, we, we've got plenty of these cards. So the idea is to take as many as you can use. Uh, please do. And uh, take them to invite people to these um, meetings and events. Um, we've got individual, uh, Suzanne's done individual invites as well for like the um, see and know and the cows by candlelight and different events. So they're all on the table, have a look at them. And what I've done is as well, I've, I've written a little letter to encourage us in our invitations. And Suzanne's done it in a very attractive uh, card as well, which you could actually keep and perhaps even put on your mantelpiece as a reminder. It's the who, when and why of, in, of inviting friends to Christmas events. You'll be, you'll be given one afterwards as you go out. Please take it, read it and pray. Be in prayer as, as to how God could use you uh, in, in inviting people to the different Christmas events. We heard as well this, this week, I heard that a brother, some of you will know Bernard Umpleby. He died earlier this week. Some of us knew Bernard, a lovely brother uh, at Thorpe Edge. He was the driving force at Thorpe Edge Evangelical Church. And uh, when I heard, I know it's a, he was old and he was actually quite poorly, but uh, he had a, such an infectious enthusiasm. For somebody who was late 80s, I would have thought even 90s, I don't know how old he was, but just kept on going with the gospel. So, uh, well, just to let you know. And uh, obviously, Thorpe Edge will be bereft without him. Um, please uh, remember that in lovely fellowship in, in your prayers. And then just lastly as well, uh, for those of us who've done Friendship First, either in the central group or in the um, home group as well, we, we've uh, we, we arranged a visit to a local mosque up uh, Lum Lane. We're going to have a look. We're going to go as in, in, um, guests and they're going to show us around. That's part of the course. If you wanted to come anyway, if you haven't been on the course, you're welcome to it. It's next Saturday morning. We've arranged it for. And that's... Well, I've forgotten the time. It's... It's sometime next Saturday morning. It's, it, I've put the details on the table. I think it's half ten. I think it's half ten. Uh, next Saturday morning. And I've been there when the Korean uh, visitors came to visit Earn Ha from her home church in Korea. We, we went as well. Um, arranged a, a, to a visit to the same mosque. Very interesting. Very uh, enlightening, really. So... There is a list if, if at the back on the table. If you'd like to come, can you just put your name down and add it to the list? And, and that will give us an idea because I'd like to let them know how many is going to be coming um, to that. And there's also some details as well. Uh, for those who've been on the Friendship First course, I've, I've got a feedback form. And could you take one? Feed, it's a very simple one just to give some information about how you found the course and uh, give it back to me. So they're on the table as well, and there's some information about what to do when you visit a mosque as well. So please, please take one of those. I think that's a lot. Let's uh, turn to God's word, shall we? And I'm reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Sorry, chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 to start with, and then a verse in chapter 9. Two Corinthians chapter eight, verse one. Moreover, moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed 
on the churches of Macedonia. That in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And this they did, not as we had hoped, but first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. That's the grace of giving. I speak not by commandment, but I am speaking, I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And then chapter 9 and verse 15, one Closing sentence where Paul says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Last Sunday, uh, Simon uh, started us off on that Advent theme, looking at the glory of God revealed in Jesus, and we're going to continue that as we lead up to Christmas. We're going to continue the Advent theme morning and evening in our morning and evening services. I don't think we've uh, done that before, as far as I can remember, anyway. Uh, so we're going to be really well prepared. After all, there are only 22 sleeps to Christmas, less if you're an insomniac. And uh, it's good that we're going to be well prepared, ready for all that God wants us to celebrate about at Christmas. It's always good, isn't it, to, to, to really enter into the mystery of the incarnation when Christ, God, became flesh. This morning, we're going to be thinking about the giving of God at Christmas from this passage in 2 Corinthians 8. And, and the title, if you like a title, it's Such a Generous God. Such a Generous God. And that will lead us on then to think about the effect that that should have on our lives as Christians. So I've got two simple headings, two, two headings. First, the generosity of God. Secondly, the generosity of God's people. Nice and clear. The generosity of God, first of all. In this uh, chapter, chapter 8 and then on into chapter 9, Paul is dealing with the, the matter of giving. And his aim has been to stir up the Christians at Corinth to encourage them to give to the believers in Jerusalem who were suffering. And uh, what he does is to encourage these Christians in Corinth, he brings to them the example of the Christians at Macedonia. Right? 
So he's writing to the Corinthian Christians to encourage them to give to the Jerusalem believers. And what he does is, first of all, he, he uses the example of the Christians at Macedonia in the Macedonian churches to stir them up. And so we read about that, chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, where he says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality, of their giving. <laughs> so from those verses, you, we learn that these Christians in Macedonia... They were experiencing a great trial. They were, be, they were being persecuted. The, 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 the persecution had begun for the, because they were Christians. And so they were being victimized. And, and, and they were being unfairly treated and discriminated against. No doubt some had maybe even lost their jobs. Some maybe had lost their, their homes. And it says in verse 2, they're ex experiencing deep poverty, extreme poverty, the NIV puts it. And the phrase there is extreme poverty, it's, it's the phrase that describes a beggar who has absolutely nothing and expects to get nothing. So they were, th these Christians in, in Macedonia, they were experiencing great hardship, real hardship. And so you would have thought that they'd have every reason to say, well, I'm sorry, but we've given all we can. We can't give any more. We've got nothing ourselves. We've hardly got anything. So I'm sorry, but we can't give. We can't afford to give. But, but amazingly, they were so motivated by the love of God that they sacrificed themselves to give. And so I'm going to read the NIV of chapter 8, verse 2. It says... Uh, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Can you imagine that? They had such a heart in the, in the, within them of generosity. They actually asked, we want to give, please let us give, even though they were so poor. I mean, that's, that's an amazing attitude that they had of, of care, of love, of generosity. They gave, it says, verse 2, with overflowing joy. And so Paul, he uses their example to challenge and encourage the Christians at Corinth to give. And I think examples like that, and I think examples of other Christians, giving is intended to stir us up to give, you know, to challenge us and perhaps to examine our own giving. I was thinking what came to mind was uh, this, an old incident of Pastor Richard Wormbrandt, some know the, the name, he was a, a Romanian pastor in the Cold War era, and he was imprisoned for a number of years for his faith because he was a Christian. And uh, after his release, he wrote a book, and this is what he said in this book. When we were given one slice of bread a week and a dirty soup every day, 
That's what they were given in prison. One slice of bread a week and a dirty soup every day. We decided that we would tithe even that. So every tenth week, we took the slice of bread and we gave it to the weaker brethren as our tithe to the master. I don't know whether I would do that, but that's what they did. And the example of, of, of those men, and there have been many people like that in Christians down the years, and, and of people in the, in, in, in the uh, uh, scriptures as well, they're meant to challenge us, to, to stir us up, to encourage us. You know, to say, well, are we willing? Am I willing to give like that? But then Paul, he's moved by the Spirit to give an even greater example of sacrificial giving. And, and this example he gives is even more astounding than the Christians at Macedonia. In fact, this giving dwarfed their giving in a much, much greater way. And so, verse 9. This is such a wonderful verse, and if you ever want a verse to learn, to memorize, this will be a great verse. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. That's an astounding truth. We, we get used to it, don't we? And we, we? The danger is we read things and we think... Yeah, that's great. But actually, there's nothing more foundational, nothing more amazing than that truth. That the Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for our sakes, he became poor. Jesus, we're going to be celebrating the birth of Jesus. He was rich. He, the Son of God, left heaven. He was rich in his person. He was God. He had all of the attributes of God. He was rich in his possessions. He owns everything. Everything. Rich in his power. Jesus, it was Jesus who spoke the word, wasn't it? And this amazing universe came into being. It, all he had to do was, as it were, lift a finger. And, and the, a universe springs up. All he had to do was say a word. And, and out of sheer obedience, the creation comes into being. And the, the Bible tells us, he gave up all the splendor of his wealth, all the splendor of his beautiful majesty, and all that he enjoyed in heaven. He laid it aside, and he became as a baby, born as a little baby in Bethlehem. Didn't leave his deity. He didn't set aside his deity. He submitted his deity, if you like. He submitted his power, the exercise of his power, to his father. But he laid aside everything that was the display of his glory and of his riches. It's just like a, a, a very poor example. Just like a very sumptuously rich person might choose, or, sorry, rich king might choose to give up all of his riches and live in the same poverty-stricken conditions of his subjects and yet still remain king. One of the Puritans, Thomas Watson, 
said this, for Christ to be made flesh was more humbling than for angels to be made worms. But it wasn't just that he was willing to become a man. We've read, uh, Judith read it out, out early. He was willing to become a servant who would be despised. Can you imagine God being despised? God being despised and rejected and spat upon? And then crucified on a cross and of course for the Jew that was worse than any death because it meant you were accursed of God. It was an abomination to the Jew. Sidlow Baxter puts it like this a far better, in a far better way than I ever could. He starts off by asking a question. It's a little bit of a long um, quote, but just listen. I think it's, it's, it just sums up what Christ has done. Was ever gift like the Saviour given? The infinite becomes an infant. He who holds the worlds in his arms is held in the arms of a frail woman. He whose garment is space and whose house is the universe, whose chariots are the clouds and whose diadem the stars is wrapped in swaddling buns and laid in a manger. He leaves the palace of heaven for the stable and the workbench and the scepter of universal sovereignty for the reed of mock royalty in Pilate's hall. He leaves the throne of heaven for that cross outside the city wall. He leaves the song of the angels for the jibes and taunts of wicked crucifiers. He who is the prince of life bows his head in death. He who is without sin becomes the sin bearer. The Christ of God becomes the crucified. He who is the father's delight becomes the God-forsaken. He who lit the stars lies in the dust. He comes, he toils, he hungers and thirsts, he weeps, he suffers, he bleeds, he dies. He redeemingly agonizes in a depthless, boundless infinity of suffering, which only his infinite capacity for suffering could experience. For God so loved the world, that he gave up his only begotten son. And, and it's no wonder that Paul finishes that chapter, at chapter 9, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. Now that, friends, sums up the generosity of God. God is a God who gives and gives and gives. It's, it's his divine DNA. That's his character. He's always given. He gave his son. He gave his spirit. He gives us forgiveness, he gives us mercy, he gives us life, he gives us love, he gives us grace, grace upon grace. You know, God just pours out his generosity upon us and you and me. To put it in a very ordinary, down-to-earth way, God hasn't just kept the best crockery and the silver cutlery for himself, and given us the paper plates and plastic knives and forks to eat with. Right? He's given us the best. The very, very best. Now, I don't know whether, if you're like me. Sometimes we might question the cost to ourselves of what we give to God. We might, might we? We might question the cost and sacrifice of what we're doing for God. 
But whatever we give to God and whatever we do for God can never, ever, ever, ever match what he's given to us. Never. Such is the generosity of God. And that brings us to the second point, which is the generosity of God's people. You see, this is the whole argument of Paul's passage that he's doing. He wanted these people to examine their generosity in the light of God's generosity. You know, in the light of God's giving, in the light of Christ's giving, he who is rich, yet for our sakes became poor, that we might become rich. In the light of all of that, Paul says, now, be like God. Give. It was a, some of you may have heard or look, looked into the, or sorry, read before, of the, 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 the history of the Moravian church. It was a, a guy called Count Zinzendorf. As a young man, going back into the mid-1700s, hundreds, the Moravian movement was amazing. It, it, it affected so much, impacted so much of the, of the world with, with their zeal. and It was like a revival at that time. And Count Zinzendorf, he was a young man. He was passing through Germany. He stopped off at Dusseldorf. And there in Dusseldorf, he, he started to go around some of the art galleries. And in one of the art galleries, he saw a, a painting by Steinberg, the artist Steinberg. And it was just a picture of the crucifixion. And this picture transfixed this young man. And especially the words underneath that the artist had written on the, in a plaque on, 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 on the frame underneath the painting. And this is what it said. With the crucifixion and Christ on the cross, it said, All this I did for thee. What hast thou done for me? All this I did for thee. What hast thou done for me? And he stood there for many, many, I, I, th I think he says he stood there for an hour or so, just transfixed by this, thinking about this. God spoke to him through that. And it was there and then he, he dedicated, consecrated his life to God in a new way, in the light of all that Christ had done for him. And he became the leader of that, Mor that Moravian movement. You know, God's generosity... Christ, what Christ has done should be the motivation for everything we do. You know, we, this world is, if you like, it's, there's, there's a, a, a spirit about the world that says get, 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 get. But actually that should not be what moulds us as Christians. God wants us to be like himself. It's, it's only natural, isn't it? You know? Like father, like son, like daughter. God wants us to be like him. To have a generosity and a love and a grace that just flows out. A love for others. God wants us to be a general, a generous people. Not a reluctant people to give. One man said to another, the preacher says I should give until it hurts. For me it hurts just to think about giving. You know, God, God doesn't want us to be unwilling givers. 
I'm not talking about, I'm, I'm thinking of finances, but I'm talking about giving of time and energy and gifts and service and, and love and what, whatever we can for others. To be generous with our money, to be generous with our time, to be generous with our homes, to be generous with our possessions, to be generous with our car and giving lifts, to be generous in our thinking, thinking of others. God doesn't want us to be unwilling givers, but to be a generous people and to be a generous church. And I'm, that's why I I'm, I'm, I'm really am glad that for as long as I can remember, we, we took the decision a long time ago that as a church we would, we would tithe the income of the church, whatever was given to the church, to missionary work outside of ourselves and, and, and to outreach. Um, <coughs> I praise God for that. And we decided that at the beginning of the building fund, that whatever was given to the building fund, we would tithe. We would give a tenth to um, other building projects beyond ourselves. Because we want, we want to reflect the generosity of God. We want to be a generous church. And then if you look at um, chapter 8, verse 10 and 11 and 12, Paul gives some real practical advice about what that mean? What, what would that look like? Just uh, read that. He says, and in this I give my advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago. In other words, they, they were thinking about, they'd, they, they'd actually started to give the Christians at Corinth. But then obviously something had happened and then they stopped giving. And he said, look, don't stop there. You, you've got good intentions to give, but don't stop there. Now, he says, what you were desiring to do a year ago, verse 11, but now you must complete also the doing of it. Good intentions are great, but they've got to be lived out. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. I think that's so good, isn't it? But Paul's saying, look, you're giving, and when it comes to financial giving, your giving's not, you, you, you can't be measured by what you don't have. It's, it's, it's proportionate. Our giving's to be proportionate. That's why some people will be able to give of their, of their income. 10%, some might be able to give more. 15%, some might be able to give more. 20%. It all depends on, 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 on what, what comes in. I think the uh, thought of the, uh, the incident of the, the, the widow at the temple. You know, she gave two little, let's call them two pennies. And God, Jesus looked at that woman out, and he said, that woman has given more than anybody else who has given. Because she gave out, out of the poverty. What matters isn't the amount as much as the motivation. Why? I, I'm doing this because I, I love God. We, don't, we never give out of duty. A little boy was sitting through a long service next to his dad and the speaker was going on and on and the boy whispered in a loud voice, Dad, if we give our 10p now, do you think he'll let us out early? You know, 
We don't, we don't give to get back. We give because God loves us. We want to be like God. God's entrusted us with our money, hasn't he? With everything. He's entrusted us. We are stewards. You know, the story of the club secretary who said to a member, you know, we're looking for a treasurer now. The member said, I thought you only appointed a treasurer a few days ago, a few weeks ago, rather. The secretary said, aye, we did. That's the one we're looking for. Yeah. <laughs> we're entrusted with what we have. Not, not so that we can cling on to things. We, we're entrusted as stewards. And a generous heart isn't just about giving money. As I say, it's about giving our skills, you know, giving our time, serving, giving hospitality, giving our energy. You know, I, I, I am so thankful that we have a generous church and people give and give and give in so many ways and uh, I praise God for that. That's wonderful, wonderful. But it's also, we couldn't do the work that we do unless people gave money as well. We, that the church needs, you know, just to have a service like this, just to have a place like this. It needs money. And uh, I, I do believe that we should give regularly. The Bible teaches, give regularly to your church to help that to work. On a personal level, I, if I can give this, I, I've always sought to tithe my money, my income, always sought. That's, in other words, to get a tenth is an idea, that's a tithe. From being a young person, I've always done that. And then as a married couple, we sought to tithe our income, our joint income, and then to give whatever we could beyond that. And I was thinking about this when I was uh, preparing. Uh, actually, I think that's quite strange. If you, because if you ask me, are we obliged to give a tithe as a Christian? I said, no. That's Old Testament teaching. That, that's, we're, not, we're not under the law in that sense. And yet I've always tithed. It's strange, isn't it? Why is that? Well, I actually believe that God puts the law in our hearts. And so we're not under law. But actually, he puts the law in our hearts, so we want to give. And the new, in the Old Testament, the, the Jews, they were asked to give a tithe, but then on top of the tithe, they were asked to give off, offerings. And actually, those offerings, some were required and some were voluntary. And so it's likely that they were giving not just a tenth, but actually about a third. That's, that's what it would work out in the Old Testament. <coughs> Under the New Covenant, the, the, the Bible, the New Testament, doesn't stress the tithe. It emphasizes the generosity of God. Wonderfully. I think the tithe is helpful to give you an idea. You know, it's, it's, a, start, it's, a, it's a good thing to start with, if you like. Um, a tenth. But uh, it doesn't stress that. Chapter 9, verse 7, says this. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's what the New Testament stresses. Are you a cheerful giver? You know that word cheerful, you've probably heard this before. It's, it's the Greek word hilarious, from which we get hilarious. It's not that I, I don't think our giving should be a scream or anything like that, is it? But there should be an enthusiasm. There should be a joyfulness. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves you to be happy in your giving. He wants you to be a happy giver. And me. 
I like what John Piper says. He, he says, God joins every childlike saint on the edge of his throne to see and savor the joy of every gift given and every gift received. So God's looking at what, what are my people giving now? I'm excited by this because they're excited. They're, they're joyful. I jo- he, God wants us to be joyful. God enjoys our enjoyment of generosity because it reflects who he is. And the wonderful thing is God promises honor and blessing to those who are generous. Jesus said, it's more, he said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's not that you're going to get all that money back. It didn't necessarily mean that. But spiritually you'll be blessed. It'll be such a joy. In chapter 9, verse 6, Paul says this. Is that right? Oh, yeah. But this I say, I'll read it in the NIV. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sowing, he's talking about giving here. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. That's a wonderful privilege. We sow what we reap. That's a principle. We reap what we sow, rather. Yeah. I told the story before, but I'll tell it again. Because a reporter who was doing an article on the secrets of old age. And so this reporter, she went to an old people's home, which was renowned for having a number of really old people living there. And when she arrived, she went into the lounge, which was full of really old people. And she went up to one who looked the oldest and she said to him, please, can you tell me what are the secrets of your old age? And this man said, well, the truth is I've smoked 60 cigarettes a day for as long as I can remember. And I've drunk seven bottles of whiskey a week. And I've always eaten whatever I liked. And I've never done any exercise. And the reporter said, that's amazing. And how old are you? He said, 39. (laughs) God promises that we will Reap what we sow. There is a principle. Be a, be a generous sower in all, in all of your life, in every area. That's the key to experiencing God's generosity in our own lives. As we give, he gives, he gives to us. We can never outgive God. So let's be inspired by the Macedonian Christians who gave out of their extreme Poverty. You know, someone's described five levels of giving. One level, the tip level, my change for God. Then there's the entertainment level, I'll pay when I go. There's the emotional level, I'll give when I feel like giving. There's the good intentional level, I'll give what I can spare, and I'll give more at another time. And then there's the best level, I'll give as I have been given, generously, sacrificially, regularly, and joyfully. I wonder what level the Macedonian Christians were at. I think it's the best level. And what level do I give? And do you give? So let's be inspired by the example of those Christians, but let's be inspired most of all by the example of God's generous giving. We're in December, we're coming up to the new year. It's a great time, you know, to evaluate and think about, okay, new year. Right, 
let's think and let's pray and let's talk together. If, we, if you're married or you're on your own, whatever, just pray about what can we be giving? What should we be giving in the new year? What, what, what's our plans? What can we do? My prayer is that this will encourage regular givers to press on and in, just, in, just increase the joy of giving. If you're not a regular giving, if, if you're a sort of a regular, sporadic giver, I pray that this will give you courage to join the weekly givers or the bi-weekly givers. Systematically, proportionately giving to God. If you're never given, I, want, I just encourage you to give. I want you to be blessed. God wants you to be blessed on a regular basis to give regularly. God's such a generous God. He's given us our personalities, our gifts, our time, our energy, our possessions, and our money. And he wants us to use those things for him generously. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that uh, we, could, we can never outgive you. How we praise you, Lord, that you have given us the supreme example. And I thank you, Lord, for this church. I thank you for so many who have generous hearts and who do give sacrificially in so many ways. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for each one. Thank you for the blessings that there are in giving. Lord, help us, we pray, in this coming week to be those who are generous with our time, generous with our thinking, or generous with our homes, generous with our possessions, generous in our serving, with our talents and abilities. Thank you, Lord, that you promise that you would give in return, pressed down, great measure, wonderful blessing. Help us, Lord, we pray, to be generous in our giving of our money. Lord, you've entrusted us with all that we have. And it's our joy to serve you with those things. So, Lord, help us, we pray. If there are those, Lord, we think of those who may be really struggling in debt and, or with the big, massive challenges of bills, Lord, I pray that you'd bless them, help them. Give them, Lord, we pray, real trust in you to be able to work through those things and to trust you, Lord, and, and then for you, to, Lord, just to provide what they need. Lord, help us, we pray, to be open and alert to others in our church who may need what we can give and to care for them and to be a loving, caring fellowship. Thank you, Lord, that you help us to give so wonderfully to those who come on a Wednesday night and a Friday morning. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, we pray that as those gifts are given, that, Lord, alongside those gifts of money and food and clothing, Lord, there would come the gift of salvation, the gift of a, a new life in Christ. Lord, we give you praise for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> the uh, band would come. We're going to sing about that lovely sacrifice of Christ and when, I, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory 
Died the last verse says, were the whole realm of nature mine. That were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Just on a practical note, I've, I've actually put some of the... Um, I was going to mention this actually. I've mentioned this on a practical way. If you've, if you do give and you don't and you pay tax, you're not able and you haven't sort of filled in a gift aid form. That's a real way, great way, for this church to be able to claim back from the government 20% um, of that money that's given. There's some um, tax aid forms um, on the uh, table at the back. Let's stand to sing. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.